Hi, my name is Liz Wessel, and I am with my friend and colleague, Lydia. Hi, my name is Lydia Tangayan. I have known Liz through work at Providence, and it's been a pleasure working with Liz for the past 10 years. Wow, 10 years. That's quite a long time, and your contributions have been so significant. I was wondering if we could begin with Lydia, if you could just share a little bit about where you grew up and what that was like. Sure. So I was born in India in a little town called Trichy in South India. And I then moved to Chennai, which is one of the four metropolitan cities in India. And so most of my time in India was spent in Chennai. I, my parents have three kids. And so I'm the youngest in the family. Oh. I have a brother who lives in um, Sydney. My sister still lives in India with my parents. And, and then I live here in the U.S. I actually grew up going to, I grew up in a Christian home in India. And so my, my mother's background, her mom was a Hindu who then converted to Christianity. And she was ostracized from her family for picking a religion that was not acceptable. And so she married my grandpa and then she became a Christian and helped her family become Christians too. My dad's family has always been in the faith and, you know, following Christianity. So I grew up in a very conservative, middle-income Christian home. We didn't have a lot of the facilities we have now growing up, but we were a very small family, content with what we had. One of the things my parents stressed heavily is education. So that's one thing that they did not compromise on. They wanted to make sure that all of the three kids went to school, went to college. And so my dad, who is a retired vet, he then chose banking as his career choice. He switched into more helping farmers with loans and entered into the banking audit area. And so for most of my childhood, he spent time outside of the home, traveling to different states across India and auditing banks and was pretty much away from the family for most of the time. My mother has always been a homemaker. And I have to say, I draw a lot of inspiration from both my parents. My dad gives me the hardworking, very ethical, will not bend the rules for anything, you know, is very black and white when it comes to law and following the rules. And so I think I get that from my dad. And then from my mom, very faith-based, very simple in her approach to life, relied heavily on God for everything, and stayed inside the four walls of our home, would never go out with my, you know, unless my dad accompanied her, has never bought anything for herself unless it was bought for by my dad. Just a very traditional housewife, as they would call it in India. But Stayed within the four walls, didn't go through school. I mean, I think her highest education was, I think she stopped schooling at ninth grade, but had this thing to make sure that what she missed out on, she would need to provide for her children. And my mom didn't know how to speak English very well, but kind of was all self-taught. You know, she would read books. In fact, with my schoolwork, she would help me with my homework. Uh, whatever she could do to help me be successful, even if she didn't understand it, 
she would at least fill out, like she would have question papers ready for me when I came back from school to just revise my, my subjects, um, help me a lot with exam prep by waking up with me at four in the morning, you know, giving wow. me my milk in the morning, making sure I was awake and she was awake with me. So I have a lot of like fond memories of that help and support I received from my mom. I don't think any of us in our family would have been successful and done what we've accomplished without my parents. And my dad sacrificed his time with family to provide for us. And truly, I think even up until he retired, his monthly income was no more than I would say $250 to $300. But he made sure that we didn't have to pay for schooling. We didn't have any college debt. We all went to really good schools. We all earned our bachelor's or master's. And so education was something that was very important for my dad. And then when I finished, I, did, I got my bachelor's, um, sorry, <laughs> my bachelor's in psychology. And I did a year of my master's in medical and psychiatric social work. And I was going to complete that. And so social work was just an area that I was just very drawn to. And I worked, I did projects with kids with special needs, especially autistic kids during my psychology degree and also my first year of medical and psychiatric social work. And so that was just where I, my heart was drawn. And an uncle of mine had heard about me and, you know, just knew about what my passion was and for some reason filled out an application to be part of an international volunteer program in England for a year where they would just place you, it was called Care Force, and they would place you, it was pr pr pretty much targeted for college year kids. Mm -hmm. And they would place you in different sites. So you could be placed in a church or in an adult home for people with disabilities or in an alcohol addiction center. So we just didn't know, I didn't even know he had filled out the form for me. So I got this letter uh -huh. in the mail when I had finished my first year of my master's saying, you've been invited to go to England for a year. And my placement was in an adult home for people with learning, with learning disabilities. And so it was kind of a very, like, it was one of the turning points, I would say, in my life, because I've never been away from home. I was always very protected at home. And my dad said, go. And for my dad to say that was a huge step, because he liked protecting his daughters, especially keeping mm -hmm. them close to him. And my mom, who was also very homebound, she was like, go. This is your opportunity. So they bought me a one-way ticket because that's all they could afford. And that was the first time I stepped out of home, got on a plane, and went to a brand new country wow. with no contacts. I didn't know anybody there. All I knew was that my uncle had arranged for one of his friend's families to become my host for the year. And I met this wonderful couple who literally adopted me. Yeah. And, you know, we, we stayed in touch. I called him Uncle John. And they took care of me. So I went to England for a year, met some amazing people from different countries. And uh, I would say that experience really opened up my eyes to all the possibilities out there. Do you know what I mean? And I honestly thought I would finish my year there. So I served in a home called Helena House, and it was primarily doing, I did shift work. So the volunteer program, they would pay you a monthly stipend of like 100 pounds. That's all you had to live on each month and they provided you housing. And I had the privilege of sharing a home 
with five other girls from different parts of England. And so I think that really enriched my experience and exposure to the world. I had to learn everything from scratch. Like we didn't have microwaves in India. We didn't have washing machines in India growing up, you know. And so my housemates were really patient. They taught me everything from scratch. And so it was just it was just nice to have that well-rounded experience. I got to travel inside England, you know, visit different parts. Um, it's so different. Even the way they speak English, it's the dialects are so different. So it was just a huge adjustment. I think I, I thought to myself that I wouldn't make it in the first six months when I got there because I was missing home a lot. Um, and I thought this was probably the worst decision I made. Um, but the work was very meaningful. It was I did shift work and I would do night shifts, too, where I would take care of people that had Down syndrome, but they were adults. Uh, most of them were nonverbal. And so I would cook meals for them, help them change, help them bathe. And it was, I would say, a very humbling experience to, you know, just to do things for others without expecting anything in return. But just the joy and the hugs you get from them and just experiencing that, it was just pure love. Like there was no hidden agendas. It was just people with genuine love and care. And so it was really interesting. I had during that experience, I worked with people with disabilities, but we also had the home on the other side had individuals with mental illnesses. And so that was even more challenging because there was a lot of violent behaviors that you had to mm -hmm. cope with. I remember sitting once with one of the people in the house that wanted to stab the other person with a sharp pencil. And I had no experience working with such extreme behaviors and I literally remember her sitting with her holding her down on one side with the other person holding her down on the other side till the meds kicked in and she was able to calm down and then you know so it was just getting used to different behaviors and coping with it and that really taught me a lot to prepare myself for like unexpected circumstances too and then it was just, I, I think we also had, I still remember this, one of the, when I first walked in there, the person said, don't leave your hair down, make sure you tie it up. And I couldn't understand why until <laughs> later on, <laughs> when I walked in for my shift, one of the caregivers was down on the floor, I held her hair being held down by one of the uh, people living there because apparently when she was growing up, she was made forced to cut her hair. And so she just had an obsession with people that had long hair and wanted to just yank it off. And mm -hmm. so it was a good learning experience. So it was just a wide variety of like different experiences, learning people that had disabilities. How do we help them with their behaviors? How can we help them just have a, it? Because they, most of them lived away from their families, right? And how can we create that family environment for them? and just enjoy that time with them. So that was really a humbling experience. I did that for a year, met some great friends, lifelong friends. In fact, one of them, one of my English friends came down to India for my wedding, and she was my bridesmaid at my wedding. Wow. Um, so it was, we still keep in touch. So that was that chapter. And then I went on, I came back to India with the goal of completing my master's because my university allowed me to like rejoin the course. And um, within that time, I, in my time in England, I had met some volunteers who said, hey, there's this organization called L'Arche, which was actually started by Jean Vanier. 
Yeah. Um, and they said, you know, they have needs there in Seattle, there in Spokane. They have different homes for people with disabilities. And would you be interested? And so I remember talking to this friend of mine and he said, well, you can apply if you want to. And so I, I really enjoyed my time in England. And so for me, it was like, well, it'll also be closer to my then fiance who was in California, right? And ah. so I said, this would have been, you know, I would still be able to see him because until then, Liz, I mean, I started dating my husband when I was in my college days and we had a five-year long distance relationship before wow. we got married. So he was in America, I was in India, then I went to England and then I went to Spokane and he was in California. So it was five years of long distance. So I applied to this um, large facility in uh, Seattle and the director wrote back to me and he said, we don't have a need in Seattle, but we have a need in Spokane, Washington. And there is a girl named Jerry who is from Bangladesh, very similar to your culture that is just having a hard time settling into the home. And so it would be really helpful if you could come in and be a living assistant in the home and help this person get used to the environment. And so again, it was a year. So I packed my bags and I <laughs> moved to, I came to America for a year long project. And this was different because I got to live in the home 24 seven with adults, with highly functioning adults, but they had disabilities. Some were nonverbal, but I had to do meds. I had to make sure I cooked meals for them. I took care of them. I took them to their daily activities and just also experiencing snow and winter and everything in Spokane <laughs> for the first time. Um, so it was just another different experience, but friends for life. Again, I still keep in touch with them. I've gone back and visited the home in Spokane, just very meaningful time spent with yeah. them. So I think working with people with special needs is always a very special place in my heart. So I did that for a year and then I went back home to get married to my husband. We had been dating for five years. We went to the same church and that's how I met him. And arranged marriages were probably the thing to do, but my parents were very open and so were his parents, you know, and they met me, they liked me, we got married. And then he had a job in California with Edison. And so we moved to um, Placentia. That was our first oh. apartment. And then from there, we moved to Orange. And then we've lived in Orange for the past 20 years now. Wow. Um, and so I couldn't, when I moved here to Orange, I couldn't work for the first couple of years because I came in as a dependent on his visa. And so during that time, I was bored because I was all alone at home and he would travel for work to like NorCal and, you know, he was doing different projects in IT. So then I was like, well, what do I do with this time? <laughs> so I reconnected with my forks at L'Arche and I was part of their board for a little bit, um, just helping them with a home that they wanted to open up in, in Orange County. And then I took a medical billing course because I heard, you know, you could do medical billing collections here I was with no concept of insurance because in India growing up, we didn't have healthcare insurance or anything. And a friend of mine said, if you just want an entry level job, 
once I got my green card and I was able to work, I was like, I need to go work, find a job. <laughs> <laughs> and so my friend recommended me to this company in Anaheim and they did back office home health and hospice processes and billing and collections and data management. And I, I still remember I went for my interview and this wonderful lady, Trish, she interviewed me and I said, I have no experience. And they had just landed a huge client in New York. So they just needed bodies to do the work. And they said they would provide all the training. They did my type, uh, typing test. Okay, so this is a fact. Nobody, I type with two fingers. I still <laughs> type with two fingers. Um, <laughs> so we did our typing test. And she said, the only reason you didn't type as fast was because you were going back with your two fingers and correcting your errors too. You know? um, but so she interviewed me and she, I guess, liked me because by the time I got home, I had a message on my voicemail saying, when can you start? You know, we'd like to offer you the job. And so my first job was an intake assistant for this back mm -hmm. office home health and hospice operation. And I did referrals for Medicare and uh -huh. Medi-Cal. And we used to get 100 referrals a day. And my job mm -hmm. was to verify all the information, put it into the system, verify their eligibility, and then notify the agencies if there were any coverage issues. And so all of this was like brand new concepts for me. Um, but I got very familiar with the Medicare DDE system, learned that, learned New York State Medical Eligibility Guidelines. And something about me is just, I'm curious. Mm -hmm. I like to learn and then I like to figure out why. why. Why do we have to do it this way? Is there not a different way to do it? And so I had, I think that was my, I had two people that were very critical in my learning of home health and hospice and giving me that strong foundation about understanding PPS guidelines and doing all of that. There was a project manager there that was instrumental in training me. And then our chief operating officer there, for some reason, he built, he took an interest in me and just saw the way I was asking questions and challenging processes. And so there were many days where he would sit with me and show me the back end of the data, show me how to write SQL queries, although I wasn't good at it, work with IT departments and say, okay, she has this idea, how can we make it into a process? And um, Really, I mean, we developed a way to do automated eligibility verification to New York State because we had to verify eligibility every day. And so I was like, it's just ridiculous that we're sitting and doing it one at a time. Can we not transmit a file and get the responses back? So it's just all those things. Mm -hmm. I was just curious to improve processes. So in the five years that I was there, I moved from intake assistant to intake lead to supervisor and then to manager. And then they said, well, you have an aptitude for billing and collections too. So then claims processing manager, <laughs> claims processing director. And then when I left the company, I was their vice president for business operations because wow. I had intake, data management, claims processing, all of that rolled up under me. And it was just, a, it, for me, I would say without those mentors in place, um, I would not have really understood home health and hospice the way I do right now. That foundation was super solid and it really helped understand, you know, grow my experience on healthcare, even just presentation. You know, I've never stood in front of a crowd and presented. 
And they encouraged me to do that for their meetings with clients, sending me to client sites to train people on, because they built their own software, like train them on the software. So all of that just expanded my scope at, at that company. And then I decided to leave that company just because there was just different changes going on. And there were certain things that I didn't really support from an, from a, ethical standpoint in terms of some of the leadership decisions. And I still keep in touch with the owner of the company. We're still good friends. Mm -hmm. Um, And he understood where I came from. And so we parted ways. I went on to United Health Group, which is on the payer side. So I had all this provider billing experience. And then I took a job with United, worked there for two years. And again, there I had my boss, who is still a good friend of mine. In fact, it was his birthday yesterday and we connected, but he's actually helping us with an Optum issue. You know, he tried putting us in touch with some connections for one of our infusion issues. And so he gave me again, a lot of training on United does a good job on leadership development. And so just putting decks together, presenting to large audiences, talking through what we're doing. So I was part of a team that integrated all of the different acquisitions that they had, the different health plans into the United system. And so I was part of that network data management team, but we primarily dealt with provider appeals and problems with claims getting paid. And so in that short span of time, I started with a team of like eight people. And when I left United two years later, because I had Aaron, who's my second son, you know, I had a team of about 50 people. And so it was just, again, very progressive growth and opportunities that came my way. And then I decided to have Aaron. And so (laughs) I, I made a conscious decision. My first son, Ethan, he's now 18 years old. He's at San Jose State doing his freshman year. And when I had Ethan, we were in a place where we couldn't afford much. We had to, you know, we were a young couple new in this country, trying to make a living, came here, landed with two bags in our hands with a few spices and, you know, basic (laughs) needs. And uh, we had to build our lives together. And so it was just, we couldn't afford a lot of things, but we also couldn't afford a lot of time. And so I felt like with Ethan, it was more kind of, I was working, trying to juggle and balance responsibilities. And so when Aaron came, I I made a conscious decision to say, I want to take a year off of work and just be with the baby and take care of the baby for that first year. And also have the opportunity, I think Ethan was in second grade, to connect, you know, kind of spend some quality time with Ethan and really have that strong foundation. So I quit United Health Group on October 3rd. And I, I literally prayed, this is true. I mean, people may think, no, but I literally prayed and I said, God, I'm going to give an a year to my babies and at the end of the, and it's going to be financially challenging for us to do that. But at the end of the year, I want to go back to work and so I pray that you would create an opportunity for me to do that, you know. And St. Joe's had when I finished my year, which was probably the best year I had with my kids, you know. And I enjoyed that time. I saw this opening at St. Joe's for a billing manager for home health and hospice, which was like, well, that's in my backyard, you know, and I'd heard so many great things about St. Joe's and 
just in the community. And I was like, well, I'm going to apply and see if it works out. And Joni was the first person that, you know, accepted (laughs) my application. And then I did my interview. I had Linda, who used to be our executive director, Mike Breslin, who was our interim CFO, and Joni at the interview. We went through our series of questions. They seemed super excited. But then Linda was like, I think you're overqualified for this role. You know, (laughs) Would you want to do this? And I was like, well, I'm at that phase in my life where I want to be close to home. I want to be able to be there for my kids. And then, you know, it's an area that I'm super comfortable with. And so I think I can add value. And so I would, Joni, I would bug Joni almost like every week, like just any update on the job posting, you know, (laughs) after I got hired, she was like, man, you were a pest. you know. (laughs) And I think to one of the emails she had said, you got the job, but it's just like our paperwork is taking time. (laughs) So I started with billing and collections, you know, and I know when we walked, when I walked in and then Vince Castaldo, who was my previous boss and CFO, he started a week later. And I think when we walked in, it was a very different, challenging environment. There was not a lot of structure with our billing, our RCS team, with leadership direction. And so I just remember being interviewed by all of the RCS caregivers, too. And oh, wow. I was just very surprised, you know, like we had people reporting to me that were interviewing me. And I was very <laughs> honest in my responses. And so it was it took us a good, I think year to like stabilize the department, put processes and structures in place, put some accountabilities in place. And I think initially people probably were like, what is she doing? You know, she's being demanding. And I know I'm I'm very pretty firm with what I expect, but I think when I look back now and I, I still keep in touch with all of the RCS caregivers, I think that structure was needed and necessary to take us yeah. to the next level. Mm-hmm. And so it was just, I met all these wonderful people. And then every now and then Vince and Linda would just be like, do you think you can take on intake too? Do you think you can take on? <laughs> and so they just kept adding. And at one point I was super surprised when they said performance improvement. How about that? You know, and I was like, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so we just, we took on HIM, performance improvement, all of the front end processes and the back end processes with the exception of clinical care, you know, the actual clinical care. Yeah. And I think that those opportunities lists really taught me the full continuum, you know, of home health, hospice, all the challenges, even from a scheduling standpoint, from a clinical standpoint, like it's one thing for me and intake to say, we need to take this referral, but what do they need to do to accommodate that? You know, what do they need to shift in their schedules? How do they need to correspond with the clinicians? All the quality challenges, all the learnings from that, uh, being part of like survey exits, you know, and understanding what's expected. I think that was that second spurt of growth in this industry for me to learn and grow with the organization. And so I was really blessed. People like you, people like Linda, that really mentored me through that journey. Yeah, well, when I think about St. Joe's, and when I started, there were five nurses. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then um, we had 10, 12 teams, you know, at one point when we grew, I mean, we had so many teams. so, so and then, it was really yeah. mom and pop and yeah. when you came in. So, yeah, yeah, a lot of those structures were probably not there. And 
I think it's so much of a reflection on you, you know, <laughs> that they were like, wow, you know, yeah, seeing all the good results. Yeah, we've definitely evolved, you know, and grown and acquired and become bigger. And but I think through all those, the people kind of made it the biggest reason for me to continue working and continue putting in those hours, you know, because at the end of it, like I remember first few days, you know, and and Vince mentioned something. He's like, it's no different than managing your own personal bank account, right? You need monies coming in, you spend on stuff. And then what's left is what you have to invest in future opportunities. And truly that stuck with me for the whole time. So every time I had to have an accountable conversation, whether it was with clinical folks or whether it was with intake, you know, if there was delays with the referral acceptance, whatever that may be, that concept stuck in my head because at the end of it, there's a patient waiting for that service to be delivered. And yeah. so I always said, if I were that patient at the end of the phone line, would I be patient to wait? I mean, considering all the health challenges I may be going through already and all that's running through my mind, would I have the patience to sit and be pushed from call to call or not being given a direct answer? And I really didn't want that experience for our patients. And so for me, that's what I drove more accountabilities to say, no, we need to answer that call. This is how we would answer it. You know, everything from intake. And we had some really great people that saw that vision and supported that and, and some really neat caregivers that kept that passion going, you know, and yeah. keeping the patient first. So, yeah, so that that's how I landed at St. Joe's and it's just been a growing opportunity there. And I would say like Vince was probably a very good, one of the things I appreciated is he gave me the latitude to say, this is your area of expertise and you own this and make the changes that make sense. So I think that really helped with implementing changes and process flows and, and quickly putting in places where we can stop the bleeding if we're bleeding and really recover from anything that may not have been in place, you know? And so I think it was a very good partnership. And then Linda, our previous executive director was, I remember reaching out to her and saying, I love seeing lead women leaders, you know, that I can look up to. And so I just reached out to her one day and I said, would you be interested in being my mentor through my journey here at St. Joe's? And she said, sure, you know, I'd, I'd love to. So we started meeting, I think every other week for like an hour and just her share, you know, I would share my challenges, I would share my successes, and then she would give me guidance on how I could approach certain situations. And a lot of it was may not even have been work related, but just life lessons that I could learn and grow from. And I think that was really special for somebody that could take the time to yeah. invest in my future growth and my, you know, pursuits. I think that was very meaningful. And she's yeah. another friend I still keep in touch with. So. Yes. And uh, I think Linda has been a mentor to many of us yeah. on our journeys at St. Yeah. Joe's. And then you also have been with the whole integration of Providence St. Yeah. Joseph and, and all the changes. And uh, do you want to just mention your current role? Sure. So in my current role, I serve as a service area CFO. So Vince had had 
started teaching me the financial aspects of things too. So just to say, okay, you do billing and collections, but how does that tie into our financials? And so that training almost started immediately when I was reporting to him. And I think he saw, again, my curiosity, you know, with asking questions, he saw, okay, this is a person that wants to learn and grow. And so invested the time in teaching me that and got me very involved in even the budgeting process, you know, and he felt finance was probably a good area for me to learn and grow in. And so slowly he started steering me away from like day-to-day ops because I was spending a lot of time in day-to-day operations and saying, let's get you into a more strategic role for from a finance standpoint where you can do the same, but you could be at a higher level supporting multiple service lines and providing direction not just for the billing and collections team, but for the whole operations as to where you see you can add value. And so that education started about, I would say, you know, six, seven years ago. But then when he decided to leave in 2019, that's when Susan, who was our previous regional CFO, she and I connected. I still remember our first meeting when we went up to Seattle and we started talking and she said, oh my gosh, somebody in finance that actually understands PPS and how it works. Like, <laughs> and we are almost immediately connected on that. And so she and Vince then realized, okay, here's another individual from a succession planning standpoint might be a good fit to take on if Vince decided to leave, you know, or somebody that we can continue to invest in and, and teach as we go along the process. So Susan was very instrumental in my learning too. And so when Vince left, I was on like a three-month testing period to see if I would cope with the change (laughs) and learn everything there is to about budgets and forecasts. And I guess I passed the test because then they offered me the role. And I still remember those first few months were brutal because it was a lot of learning, a lot of new processes. And Susan would be on the phone with me at six. And sometimes I would be in tears saying, do you think I'm the right person for this role? <laughs> you know? And she'd be like, yes, <laughs> I don't see us going out. You are going, you get, you get this, you know, this, you've got this, you're going to do great. And kept pushing me, you know, to say, you've got this. And so without her support, I don't think I would have survived. And then she left, you know, and then I've had Melissa, who's been an awesome boss and we have a great relationship. And I think even in HCC, just I was, we were more focused on home health, hospice and infusion, but just being part of the overall HCC finance team, you know, has really expanded my understanding into understanding about SNFs, about HME, about PACE, the different programs and services we offer. So I have to say like 10 years at Providence, you know, October 3rd was my 10 years with Providence and it's just been a constant learning, growing, stretching journey for me um, in the past 10 years. Yeah. So I'm very thankful for that. Yeah. Well, it's been fascinating to think about how your journey has been in your career. And obviously, you know, you're very gifted in what you do and, and humble about it as well. And I love to hear about, you know, your early beginnings in, you know, helping people. And I, I think you've just been able to take all these different aspects and the human caring aspect and bring that into everything that you do. Mm -hmm. 
And I was wondering if you could share a little bit about your philosophy in leadership and especially teamwork, because you work with lots of people and have <laughs> on this journey. <laughs> I think for me, it's very simple. I think I, you know, I work, I work hard. I think I, at least that's something that's just been ingrained in me. And so I look at every opportunity as an opportunity to give back. And so in my leadership role, one thing that I've benefited from my previous experiences with leaders is the willingness to share information and the willingness to mentor and train others to understand why we do what we do. And so that's been a big focus for me with through my developmental journey too. I started off as being kind of a tough leader, and then I've had to soften up around the edges and really take time to understand people where they are, you know, what level they're at, and then meet them there and then work together to develop a plan that they would be successful. Because I always tell my team, I only look good because you guys make me look good. And, and it's always a partnership. So from a leadership standpoint, I've always had an open door policy. People can come and talk to me about work. People can come and talk to me about their personal challenges that impact work. And I've also been very clear. I never try to attack people for who they are as individuals. It's more the process. You know, what can we do to improve yeah. the process? The focus is on how can we all get better at what we do? And so teaching them what I've gained over the years and what I've learned over the years is something I enjoy the most because if I can... So that's why even now, it's, you know, you'll hear me leaving Providence after 10 years. I feel like we're in a good place because mm -hmm. for my team, they've been part of my learning journey. Everything I know, I show them. I keep the files. Everything is stored on a shared drive where everybody can access it. If they don't understand something, they can schedule meetings with me and we can go over it. I would rather have a team that understands what we do and why we do it and be able to communicate that and grow from that rather than being directional where it's just me telling them you need to get this done and they have to do it without right. that understanding. So it's a very, my style is very collaborative, wanting everybody to own their areas of expertise, you know, and manage within their scope of work and then always find areas where they can learn and grow and, and stretch as well. So it's just been a very, for me, that's important. Yeah. Um, if I leave, the organization doesn't suffer because of my exit. You know, work still continues and people are confident to carry that work forward. Yeah. Well, it sounds a little bit like human flourishing to me in your yeah. philosophy. Yeah. And I love that you help people to develop in their own right and, and that when you do leave that the organization is still in a very good place. And, you know, I just think about all that you have given to Providence St. Joe's and your significant contributions. And um, I know that you'll be leaving feeling really wonderful about what you've been able to accomplish. And my, and my leaving, Liz, is more a personal decision. Do you know what I mean? It's more, and I, I told Melissa this too, it's just, again, another area to challenge myself. I'm going back into operations. And I have to be honest, I've missed that connection with direct operations. You know, in finance, you 
develop budgets, you do all of that. You do connect with operational leaders, but you're not there in the thick of things. And I've kind of missed that. Um, And again, it's 10 years at Providence, you know, and stepping out of my comfort zone and doing something to challenge myself. And I hope that it works out. But, you know, and that's, that's truly, and I look at myself, I'm 45 now, if I don't do this now, I probably never will, I'll probably stay comfortable. And so it's just more of a personal choice for my career and for my growth and stretching outside of Providence to see what what the world has to offer so yeah well i think that that is in your nature you know mm-hmm. as you've talked about this curiosity wanting to learn and grow i i think that's one of your strengths and being willing to stretch beyond your comfort zone every step of the way and so i've just absolutely loved having this conversation with you thank you Liz. <laughs> or or and i just wish you you know, all the best. And I know you have so many friends at Providence, and I'm glad that you aren't someone who likes to keep in touch with people. Just think of all all the people you're making. (laughs) I I mean, that's one thing, you know, the people matter for me more than the actual job itself. And so I've just been that way. So I will stay connected with all my Providence family too. So yeah. Well, I think that really connects with your upbringing and also your early experiences in healthcare at uh, large and, you know, helping, helping people. And yeah, so beautiful, beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. And happy Diwali. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Liz. Okay. Take care.